0: Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting vanityfair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's vanityfair.com, promo code POD15 for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Hello, and welcome to Little Gold Men,
1: the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to...
0: And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now! You like me! I'm the king of the world!
2: There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture.
1: I'm Katie Rich, the Deputy Editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here as always with our Chief Critic Richard Lawson. Hello. Our Digital Director, Mike Hogan. Hey. And our Senior Writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. It's a really fun time of year because we have awards to talk about. The National Board of Review has announced their award winners. The Gotham Awards were handed out on Monday night. Uh, by the time you hear this, the New York Film Critics Circle will probably have announced some of their winners, including Richard, which we'll hear more about later. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of these very early suggestions of who's actually going to start taking home statues this season, uh, and then get into some of the um, some of the categories that are at stake as well. Um, but first, let's just jump right into it. The National Board of Review is the most recent winners we've seen. They're always really fun and weird they kind of have like a famous affection for Clint Eastwood and old people movies. And they're kind of a mysterious cabal of voters like the Golden Globes. Uh, what's not for you guys about the NBR winners? Green Book. <laughs> yeah, we'll start there.
3: I mean, that one best picture. And, you know, we have been a kind of seesawing on that or up and down roller coastering with that movie because we saw it at Toronto and thought, OK, this is going to be the big Thanksgiving movie. Everyone's going to see it. The box office has been lackluster. The cr- the critical reception has been I would say resoundingly negative. Um and and yet it endured to not only win Best Picture, but Vigo Mortensen won Best Actor. And who 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 gives this out? Do we do we know?
1: They're New York based. Uh, it's
3: it's Jared and Ivanka.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> one thing that's super interesting is like this this NBR list looks like a totally pos- plausible sort of Oscar group, except for did I just Was I just asleep And didn't realize That Paul Schrader's First reform Was like a total lock to, Because that then Was huge In the Gotham Awards Which was much Sort of quirkier And more kind of criticky. right Ethan Hawke won Best uh, actor And Paul Schrader Won best screenplay For that But he also won Best screenplay here So am I just an idiot I'm, I haven't been paying Close here's, to well,
0: attention Here's my journey with, with First reform. When I saw the trailer For it I was like No way am I going to see that Because like My atheist self Doesn't usually respond to Like uh, religious struggle films, and it looked so dour and upsetting, and I was like, I don't want to see that. But a a lot, like all the critics that I admire, were just saying could not stop talking about Ethan Hawke's performance in it, and so it came uh, hashtag screener privilege. It came like very early in my in my screeners this year, and I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And I was like, okay, this is incredible. Like it really is. I thought it was incredible. I did not expect to respond to it. So I think there has been this buzz. I thought it was mostly pegged to. Ethan Hawke's performance but of course Paul Schrader has like so much long standing affection um, among film lovers that maybe it's for everything about the movie
1: but I'm with you, Mike, in being a little baffled. I remember it being at Venice and at Toronto last year in 2017, and it kind of came and went. Like Maybe some people saw it and were talking amongst themselves, but there was just no visible buzz for it whatsoever. And then, yeah, it opened in the spring, and critics just started talking more and more about it. But also, Paul Schrader hadn't made a like widely beloved movie in 20 years since Affliction. So like there was kind of a reason to be suspicious of it, but it definitely has grown as the years gone on.
2: Well, I I mean, it just went from, and now I'm looking at our our, um, friend and competitor, Scott Feinberg's list, and, you know, there's two, at the Oscars, there's two screenplay categories, and so that even divides it up whereas in this case in the Gothams and, and in the uh, I don't think they're dividing it by adapted and original um, but Scott didn't even have it as one of the front runners in original right he had it it was in kind of sixth place arguably uh, but so for it to sort of like jump out in front this way I think is very interesting and to me is maybe like the main takeaway from these two things is that first Reformed is like a serious Oscar contender and will probably win or, or could very well win best screenplay yeah right and, yeah. and you, you you sort of when you're watching it, there's some interesting moments not to give things away. And by the way, you can watch it on Amazon Prime right now if you're at home. You don't need a screener or anything.
1: Hashtag Amazon Prime Privilege.
2: But uh but there are a few moments in it where you're sort of like Oh, right. This guy wrote Taxi Driver. Like, yeah. this thing could go really, really sideways here, you know? Um, yeah.
1: This guy wrote Taxi Driver and has never been nominated for an Oscar, which is really crazy. Like, we've talked about Spike Lee as a contender in screenplay because he's had such a rough Oscar track record. But Paul Schrader, I mean, if it's an overdue contest, might be more overdue. And First Reformed has this wide breadth of affection that we're seeing.
0: And I think in terms of overdue, there has been a lot of, um, you know, Ethan Hawk has given many profiles this year related to. Uh, Verse Reformed. And you know, and some of these headlines are like, Ethan Hawke trashes superhero movies or whatever. But Ethan Hawke has been, I think, very open and contemplative about what he thinks about the state of movies right now in a way that I think people will want to hear more from him during the Oscar season um, as a Best Actor contender. We talked about this like this being maybe a tiny problem with Bradley Cooper that like, he's not really interested in giving interviews or saying more than the same three things. Whereas Ethan Hawke's like, you want to talk about the state of movies? Let's talk about the state of movies. I'm ready. You know, and that's um, you know, something something that has kept him in the conversation all year, I think.
2: Well I think Ethan Hawke is in a good place in his career now in the sense that there was a time when he seemed sort of like an arrogant, snotty
3: person. Because he was. And maybe he, that's because but, he was. But but like he or had earned that too in a weird way.
2: Yeah, and now he's coming off more as an elder statesman of like serious film and through boyhood and through and through all the Linklater stuff and everything. I mean, you got to give him credit like the guy has done a ton of great work and there is this kind of I, I get this feeling from him of a sort of hard earned humility like mm-hmm. you know what I mean like a lot of years of being like why don't I try to be less of an arrogant dick until the point where you're not an arrogant dick anymore you're actually like a pretty cool dude
3: <laughs> look if you earn 40 million dollars off the back end of the purge which he did then you're like well I can do whatever I want I don't need to be an asshole I can, I'm rich as crisis that is make,
1: incredible yeah
3: he made so much money off the purge and, and, and now he can do whatever he wants he's kind of like an old Robert Pattinson or Kristen Stewart, who like are you know zillionaires because of Twilight and now can do really cool indie films. And Hawk has always been doing that, but now he's just like freer to do it. Yes, And, and I think that First Reformed is kind of the I don't know crystallization of that exact thing. It's a tiny, weird, esoteric, religious, environmental panic drama that has great pedigree to it, but like is not commercial in the slightest and yet has endured for. The better part of a year. I mean, you know, and you know, now that now it's winning awards again and, and I certainly know just sort of, you know, on, on back channels, it's New York Film Critics Circle is big on that movie, and so we'll see how that shakes out. But, you know
2: And as the guy who always brings up the politics, um, you know, it's good timing for a climate change uh film where people are really freaking the hell out about climate change because in fact a lot of people are right now. Yeah. So yeah. it's and serendipity. It's,
3: and it's Amanda Seifert's second best movie of the year. <laughs> Mamma Mia!
2: Here we no, go now,
0: of course. Too, She's so good. She's really yeah. good. Just to circle back to like what he's become in the acting world, he's become someone where every time he shows up in a film now, I'm like just thrilled and excited to see him. I'm thinking of like Magnificent Seven or Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Like there are so many problems with those films, and none of those problems are Ethan Hawke. It just sort of slides off him, and he's just like even would rather you not bringing those
1: up, Joanna, he's going to get an <laughs>
0: nomination here. He's great in Magnificent Seven. You can fight me, but he's really good in that movie so you know um i think yeah there's a lot of short up affection and i'll be interested you know like when Katie and i talked about the best act- actor race uh, a couple weeks ago we were just like uh it's bradley cooper no one else right uh, you know this this is the first time that i'm really beginning to question that
2: so, so maybe he does enter that that race maybe he bumps somebody like a ryan gosling out of the you know top 5 and 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 it yeah. and it ends up becoming bradley vigo and and ethan Perhaps
3: well, but Ethan Hawke has only been nominated for supporting actor in the past, right? For for Training Day and Boyhood, but he's also gotten two screenplay nominations for the the Sunset, Sunrise, Moonlight before sunset, <laughs> so midnight, midnight, before midnight, 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 Yes. Um. So so he's never gotten the lead, you know, acting nomination, which is interesting. You know, in a long, venerable, storied career. So there's a narrative there. Yeah. Um. I think that you know. I think Mike, you said. Um, Ryan Gosling, and I think First Man has completely fallen off of it most people's seem like radar, that, doesn't it? Sorry, Katie. Um, Except for
1: Katie's. I know, I know. I'll, I'll keep beating that drum, but I I can admit defeat when it comes.
3: Well, you're the only person on this podcast who believes the moon landing actually happened. So <laughs> that's true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to convince you guys for weeks. <laughs> Yeah, so it feels like First of Four might still be a long shot as a Best Picture nominee. I mean, we've seen all kinds of small movies that we didn't think would even make it in, like, you know, Moonlight, one Best Picture, so anything is possible. But it does seem now like Ethan Hawke and Paul Schrader have a pretty good path especially if like you're saying richard critics awards start coming around for both of them as well
3: yeah and i think another interesting thing from the gothams um on that in that vein is tony collette for hereditary yeah um who won best actress over glenn close Catherine hahn uh regina hall who's my my pick for best actress and michelle pfeiffer and where's kira i mean this is an independent film awards like the gothams are just kind of this weird you know c- critics nominate people critics vote on who wins i think right Seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's
2: it's very kind of A24 party, (laughs) which I get because those guys are cool and fun.
3: Yeah, they are. Uh, So, I don't know. Tony Collette winning. I'm like, you know, I had long thought like she's that would be a great dream nomination. But like it's too crowded a field. There's no way that could happen. I don't know. Maybe it could. Um, depending on who has seen that movie. And they sent screeners out early for that, so...
1: Yeah, I just got a, uh, a hereditary pin from A24, like an enamel pin with Tony Collette's screaming face on it. So if that's a... Uh, that's something. that's a campaign. <laughs>
3: oh, weird. I got a severed head. <laughs>
1: well, the... Uh- the NBR acting winners seemed kind of plausible to me as potential Oscar winners. You can debate it. So Vigo Mortensen won Best Actor and Bradley Cooper won Best Director, which I think is interesting. They gave two acting awards to Stars Born for Lady Gaga and Sam Elliott. Uh, and then Regina King won for If Beale Street Could Talk. Like, I, I think Vigo is probably not as strong a contender and actor as Bradley Cooper. I get that they wanted to spread the wealth a little bit, but that, I mean, I, I feel like at least this is the resurgence of the Sam Elliott campaign that we've been talking about and it seemed like for a while everyone was like, no, is gonna win, but I think Sam Elliott it is strong here.
2: That Regina King to me looks like um, just get ready to see that
3: name over and over until
2: yeah night. I
0: feel. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, with
3: that. I mean it's interesting. I saw Vice uh, this past weekend after Thanksgiving, and everyone is beating the drum for Amy Adams in that movie. And I think that she's good in it and could certainly get an, will certainly get a nomination. But I still don't think that her, that narrative is stronger than um, Regina King being the kind of standard like the the, the flag bearer for a movie that people like but probably won't win in other categories
2: can i just point out the top films in alphabetical order of the nbr because i think there's a super interesting list um if, if you think of it as possibly you know as as if it were best picture right so first of all best film was green book so the rest are alphabetical ballad of buster scruggs black panther can you ever forgive me eighth grade first reformed if beale street could talk Mary Poppins returns, A Quiet Place, Roma, and A Star Is Born. That's like That's... a super interesting list. It's, it's a good the, list. It's got the big Oscar favorites and it's also got these kind of critical darlings that that I don't I hadn't a bunch of them I hadn't really been thinking about as real possibilities for for best picture but when I see them here I'm like, "Huh." Yeah, I mean, I don't know about Buster Scruggs, but maybe
1: it, it makes you think. Like, can you ever forgive me? Like, why should like Why should it just yes. be an acting?
2: Thing, right? Yeah, or even or a quiet place, and you know, we know that they're that they're putting a real effort behind that. They want that film to be considered for Oscars, and and you know,
1: it's a good year for Emily Blunt. When yes. I was
3: in um uh, at the Savannah Film Festival, I was on the jury there back in October, and they were giving an award to either Krasinski or Blunt or somebody like, like a quiet place had a presence at this fall film festival, despite the movie having come out, you know, six months prior, you know, their screeners have gone out. Like it's that they're definitely making a push for that movie. They're kind of equating themselves with get out in a weird way. They're like, you know, we're early spring horror movie, late winter horror movie that like has other stuff going on, but like get out is get out like that. It's the quiet place is a little bit simpler than that. Yeah. So I think that that's the kind of hurdle that they have to jump over is kind of proving that movie's merit. Um, but yeah, it's presence on the national board of reviews list is certainly, uh, Telling that it's still in the hunt
0: this weekend. Interestingly, it feels like a lot of whether because the screener came in the mail or uh, you know it was released. A lot of people saw the favorite, and I don't know about a lot, but like a lot of people chatting on Twitter saw finally saw the favorite and hadn't seen it and were blown away by it. And at the same time, it, it feels. Absent from these conversations, yeah. Where like, the hell you know? is the favorite? That's it. Yeah, it, it won a
1: special Gotham award. I think it got like a special award for all three actresses, which seemed like a good compromise for not having them just clog up the whole field. But it's nowhere on the NBR list.
3: It's the Billy Elliot compromise. <laughs> 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 all, all three win. I think the favorite. You know, we've talked about it ad nauseum, probably on this podcast. But like, it's you know, it's an it, Lanthimos is an acquired taste. Like, it's difficult. It's this and th- it's that. You know, I still think that it has. Uh, legs uh, at the Oscars. I was at, you know, uh, when we're recording it last night, I was at the Fox Searchlight Holiday Party and um, spoke to some people there and they're still quite bullish on it, but like also seemed... A bit confused about it.
1: People who work for Fox Searchlight are like, yeah, critics. yeah, they were like, because I was
3: like, oh yeah, like, can you ever forgive me? Which is their another of their big movies this year. You know, th- I talked to Marielle Heller at the party. Like, you know, they're they know how to you know how to play that movie. Yeah, but they were like, what do you think about Livy Coleman? What do you think about Rachel Vice? Like, they really still were asking these questions that they yeah. were also asking in Toronto, and and I think that there's a bit of a problem of how to sort of sell the favorite, um, in the most comfortably awardsy way and Mm. um, I think that maybe that confusion will stymie them some
2: I feel like it would be a mistake to try to sell it as comfortable right the the, the way to go totally wrong with that is to be like oh it's a great royal drama you'll enjoy it like it should really be like this fucks up everything you thought you knew about royal dramas and you know we're all obsessed with this watch this guy blow the whole thing to bits brilliantly you know I mean seems like to me
0: Something I'm not sure we talked about a lot, because I will admit that I have occasionally turned down my volume when you guys talked about the favorite because I wanted to watch it unspoiled by your conversation. But how much have we talked about the fact that like how gay it is and, and whether or not it's gayness is um, like a factor at all in the way it's received? I'm not sure we have talked about it.
3: Similar to Can You Ever Forgive Me, it's a textual part of the film, but it's not indicating about it. It's not like this is a gay movie.
2: Yes, you know right. the way
3: that Call me by Your Name certainly was sort of shrouded in that, you know, or whatever. You know, so I, I don't know, Joanna, if, if it's a deterrent or not. But uh, they're definitely not. They're definitely not selling the favorite as here's the LGBT plus movie of the year.
2: But also, it doesn't to me the context is like pre. Kind of our notions of gender in a way, right? It's just like, of course, you'd have sex with the monarch, right? Like that, yeah, that it's, seems it's, to be it's the a, it's world. It's about power, not it, about yes. identity. It, it, that's how it seemed to me, which which I think may sort of like be one of the reasons why it doesn't feel like a kind of a yeah, like a like a overtly LGBT <laughs> film. <laughs> it's not. It's not perfect, but it. I've seen other people on Twitter say, you know, point out like, mm-hmm. hey, we got to like this is that is what this film is.
0: I mean, I don't know if I want to argue like, if it's gay, you know, gay with a capital G or whatever or not. But I, I think that at least with Olivia Coleman's performance, I think I can see the argument of divorcing sexuality from like power for, you know, the Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone performance. But at least for Olivia Coleman's performance, which I find to be the most like, interesting and affecting of the three, I, I can't quite separate like the alienation and the, you know, the homosexuality, but maybe it's just like the only people who were around her were women. So I have no idea. But anyway, I just, I just thought it was, I just thought it was an interesting part of it that like, honestly, honestly with the favorite, I kind of tried not to like listen to people talk about a lot because for some reason I decided this is a movie I wanted to just like experience. Um, But I also kind of missed (laughs) That there was so much uh, gayness in it, which is not a deterrent to me as a viewer, but I was just like, huh, did I, are people not talking about that? And maybe that's why. Maybe because, like, it's not quite what that is. Uh,
3: well, so. I'll say that my reason for not talking about it in when I reviewed it from Telluride was that, and maybe this was a cop-out on my part, but, like, I felt like it was a spoiler.
0: Because, oh, okay. Because yeah.
3: the way that it's revealed in the movie... Kind of is a plot point, and maybe I'm spoiling it now, but um you know, it just felt like that it was almost felt like a twist. Sure. Um yeah. but I don't know. I, I think
1: also I believe that in the historical record the the stories of Queen Anne being a lesbian came from Rachel Weiss's character, like when she came back from exile after the movie ends, um, and kind of spread that story about her. I might be really butchering uh British history, but I think there there is an interesting historical context for that too.
2: Oh, and did it in, as revenge? Hmm. Wow.
3: Complicated. Oh, I want that sequel. I want that sequel.
1: yeah I know. <laughs> I want that sequel too. Lady Sarah Telling Tales. Uh any last thoughts on the Gothams, which we've been talking about a little bit throughout this. Uh The Writer was their big best picture winner, which like I think is a classic Gotham's choice of something that's really unlikely to get a best picture nomination. Um what else stood out for you guys at the Gothams? Yeah, The
3: Rider's interesting because that's a movie that has been beloved for well over a year now. It was a festival movie last year and but only came out. You know, in theaters this year, and it's a movie that I appreciate, but I can't really grab onto. And and I'm glad that it got this you know award and that it's getting recognition because uh, Chloe Zhao is a really interesting director, and you know she made this movie with a lot of love and compassion and you know uh, all that. But um, I think this is probably the biggest thing it's going to get.
0: The big takeaway for me is that you know this can only be good for any kind of eighth grade momentum, which we've talked about, like we're not sure if eighth grade is going to uh, break out beyond these like breakout categories, which it won, Bo Burnham won and Elsie Fisher won. Um, you know, so it, with the cat, with the like asterisk of breakout, but like, or breakthrough, but like is, you know, is that enough to push it into the mainstream categories? Um, you know, they can't, they can only feel encouraged by this, I think. And there's just so much goodwill and everyone I know who's seen it, um, you know, as it, as it's come out in screen or two is like really up on it. So I don't know. There's just like so much affection for that movie. I don't know if it will, that will parlay into, um, you know, bigger nominations or even wins, but it's, it's nice, you know, indie spirit, sure. Oscar, I still a question mark, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've talked about how the best actress race is just monstrously crowded uh, and is only getting more crowded as like people see Mary Poppins and can you forgive me continues on, uh, but Elsie Fisher, looks so cute at the Gothams in her pink suit and she's so appealing at all these events and she and Bo Burnham, I think Nicole talked about last week, were like this starstruck pair at the Governor's Awards. So I just I like the idea of building momentum for her even if it seems so hard for her to break in.
0: And a knows this. Their Twitter account put out the cutest tweet uh, I think it was like two weeks ago or whatever where it was Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher and they were wearing like kind of matching suits and it was like untitled Elsie Fisher Bo Burnham spy movie or something like that. It was just like... <laughs> We know who our cute little like uh, award season duo are. Here they are. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's like no kids this award season. I didn't my my nemesis children at award shows. <laughs> I just realized Elsie Fisher might be the closest and she's old enough to enjoy it. So, I think I might uh I might ease my ru- restrictions for the sake of Elsie Fisher who I think knows what she's doing. So Mike had to leave us, uh, but that gives us time to probe into the mind of Richard, New York Film Critics Circle voter. Um, Richard, obviously, you're not going to reveal what's on your ballot uh, or like spoil anything of what your colleagues are going to do. But just uh, you're going to be voting with New York Film Critics Circle uh, this week, tomorrow as we record this. Uh, what is that process like? Like what when you're in the room with all these people who have all these different things to do, and then we see this one unified list being like, ah, the critics love this movie. How does it really look in real life?
3: It doesn't look like the, oh, the, the critics love this movie. <laughs> I mean, it. it I mean. There are certain things I think that in the voting process, which is all done by, you know, sort of secret ballot. I mean, it's it's very, very low tech. I mean, we just write things on scraps of paper, um, but you don't really know who's voting for what. But um, once in a while, it's been like, OK, they're, you know, I think once in my two or three years doing it that something has won on the first round. Um, But normally it goes to two, three, sometimes four rounds of voting. And then then there's kind of all this strategy involved. And your favorite is not going to win. And so you have to decide of of the kind of pool of people who or movies that seem likely to win, which one do you want to, you know, go for? And so it becomes this kind of internal compromise, I guess.
1: Is there vote rallying where you're like, like in Lincoln, where they're all yelling at each other on the floor and being like, come to my side.
3: No, there's none of that in the room. Um, there is that pre the room. Uh, I'll say, I guess uh, there are <laughs> sometimes emails, but I think it's more a kind of conversation. I think that Tiffany Haddish winning last year for Girls Trip for Best Supporting Actress that was something that I think started in screenings. You know, just talking to people before movies started in around November or something. You know, pre Thanksgiving maybe among a certain set of voters in the New York Film Critics Circle. Um, and it was exciting to see that actually happen. And we kind of following through on this idea. So yeah, I think there's some of that. But uh, for the most part, it's it's pretty chaotic and pretty unpredictable. As we're recording, I'm voting tomorrow morning. And and I have certainly my little list of things that I want to win. And I've talked to other people in the group who we sort of are copacetic, you know, sort of see eye to eye on certain things, don't on others. I think First Reform is going to be a big roadblock for me. I need to rewatch that movie tonight, I think, and try to try to come around on appreciating that movie so I can vote for it so other people will vote for something else. Not to say that that kind of horse trading is happening, but maybe it is.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> do you feel like do you have a horse that you're riding in a similar way as other people are riding First Reformed?
3: I think my big one is Regina Hall for Support the Girls. I think mm-hmm. that that is a movie that um, is weird and beloved by some i mean it was nominated for a gotham award or several i think she was nominated for actress the film was nominated it's not that it's gone under the radar completely but uh it's not by any means a mainstream film so i think that a win for her would be great and i also think that you know speaking of tiffany haddish she was great in girls trip i think that regina hall is really the 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 undersung hero of that movie I mean she's the lead in the movie but I think that she's also the best it's the best performance in Girls Trip and and Regina Hall has been around forever she's you know from Scary Movie on and you know she's just a great journey woman actress and and this is such an interesting cool role for her so that's, that's the one I'm really hoping happens I would say that there's a, there's one category that I'm really torn about, which is supporting actor, because you have Richard E. Grant, who we interviewed for this podcast, and who's so good in, in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And another, you know, he's a journeyman actor. He's been around forever. This would be a nice kind of feather in his cap. And yet you also have Steven Yun, who we also have had on this podcast for Okja last year, who's so good in Burning and kind of is the um, white-hot center of that movie. And so... that's that's a kind of hard thing where you're like who do i vote for like i love both of them and um i think that what that'll come down to is after the first round of voting for that category i'll kind of assess like who seems to be ahead because you know they'll read out the count and like so and so has this many votes and so and so has it and i might just kind of decide
0: then in the moment this is so house of cards i really love it (laughs) <laughs> well this is
1: what's so cool to me about critics groups like this um, unlike the Academy or the critics group that I vote in the critics choice awards that Joanna votes in too where it all happens from inside your house you're kind of filling out your ballot on your own and there's just not really there's a, it's such a big group there's not the same opportunity for like watching and reading the room Um, so you do get the chance for the critics to kind of you know even if not everyone thought Tiffany Haddish was the best supporting actress of the year to be like no we're gonna make a statement we're gonna hand an award to somebody like the fewer groups that want to be like let's predict what the Oscars are gonna win or what the Oscars are going to do, and then make their own choices. I think the more interesting it gets.
3: Well, yeah, and I think, and I'm, and, and I, 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 I'm not suggesting that that things that win at in the New York Film Critics Circle are are sort of symbolic award. I mean, like they genuinely are the kind of consensus decision on like what was the best in each category. It's it's not a ton of strategy beyond that. But like, yeah, I think that there is certainly a consciousness about not just kind of following an Oscar narrative, and I think that something that Has dogged the New York Film Critics Circle in recent years is that in the same way that like BAFTAs now, you know, BAFTAs used to be kind of transgressive and do interesting things, and now they really just kind of follow almost an exact lockstep with the Academy. Um, And you you don't you don't want to do that, and and what you want to do is find the other performance, find the other movie that's like that that is just as worthy, if not more. And, you know, it's like Isabelle Huppert winning for L for Best Actress. That, I think, was first round. I think she, at New York Film Critics Circle, she went right through and, and, and should have because she was so good in that movie. And it was the performance of the year. She was not going to win an Oscar. She did get a nomination, which is exciting. Yeah,
1: and I think because of you guys, she did get a nomination, which is exciting. Like, there's not a lot of critics groups that have the power to influence the Academy, I think. But I think New York, New York Film Critics Circle is one of them, like, shining a spotlight on these people saying, hey, go watch your screener of whatever this is. Like, we think this is worthy. And I think it really works.
3: Yeah, and I hope that's true. And you know, it's the oldest critics group in the country, and you know, I'm so so honored to be a part of it, just for these you know few short years that I've been in the group. Yeah, so I think there is a little bit of that. You know, we can we can guide the weather a little bit. It will be curious, not this coming year, obviously, but like 2020 when the um, award season is so much shorter because they're moving the Oscars up by a couple of weeks. I'll be curious to see like what, how any of these early groups. Can you know affect things with 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 less of a runway, you know, and less of a screen reviewing time. Um, but for the time being, yeah, I think that like hopefully we can at least press down on something heavily and be like this should you know we should we're, we're waiting this one you know more than something else like Willem Dafoe in, in Florida Project who won Supporting Actor last year at the Critics Group and then got an you know Oscar nomination you know hopefully we can we can sway things a little bit.
0: If you guys get I mean once again this is not necessarily your agenda but if you get Steven Yeun uh, an Oscar nomination I'm gonna send you all a fruit basket. Uh, Yeah I, I, I think he's extraordinary and I think it's you know I'm so glad you brought it up here because I just think it's not something that I've heard his performance talked about. I mean, I know that that film is being put forward in the in you know best foreign language category, but um, he's so good in it, and it's 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 funny because I this often happens. The category that I feel most emotionally invested in now, after we've talked about it, is best supporting actor. Because I'm like, well, oh yeah, but. Sam Elliott. Oh, but Richard E. Grant with oh, Stephen Yeun, Like, oh no, I feel very strongly about all of them. So I don't know. It's a
3: real heartbreaker this year that that category because like there are so many worthy people. And I think the interesting thing about Yeun and and Burning as a whole is that like probably next to First Reformed, I think Burning is the best reviewed film of the year. Wow. I thought it saw it can. I was okay. I, I thought it was good, but I didn't fall in love with it. But like, it's it's such a favorite uh, among critics, and yet has so little chance of getting nominated for Oscars beyond foreign language, and that's a continual problem that I don't know maybe the academy should after they've they're they're dealing with a lot so maybe once they've gotten through some other institutional problems, they could address the fact that like there's a real foreign language film problem, and um actually addressing that could help with other broader diversity initiatives you know um and you know here's a here's a Korean film starring a bunch of. Well, some Korean natives and other Korean, you know, in Steven Young's case, Korean American, like, they, you know, yes, Crazy Rich Asians is there. But, like, there's also a whole tradition of Asian cinema that we could be awarding.
0: A bur- burning is, I will, you know, I will, I loved it, but I will be the first to admit that it is, like, you know, like, first reformed a bit challenging in that it's very slow moving. And when I've enthusiastically, like, you know, recommended it to people and they've watched it, they're like, really? You know, some people. You're right that, like, critics love it, but I think people who are not used to just sitting down and slowing down, um, and hopefully, like, the Academy is, but I don't know, more and more, I doubt that people are used to sitting down and slowing down. It's something like, I don't know, like a, like a Jackie, where, like, I just feel like it did not... You know, people just weren't really willing to sit with it the way that it needed to be sat with. I don't know. This
1: is my time for my endorsement of Cold War, which is challenging and needs to be sat with, but is less than 90 minutes long. Uh, which I think Ida uh, Apollo Polakowski's previous one was also less than 90 minutes long so he's uh he, he'll make you pay attention but then you can go do something else excellent
3: <laughs> Katie I'm curious from the the parenting perspective where your 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 time your time is occupied by the existence of a small human um what what on screener I know you watched Cold War recently what has endured like what have you been able to actually sit through and watch and like felt worth prioritizing?
1: Cold War definitely was that. Um, The Wife did not accomplish that. I kind of watched it in like several phases on screener. Shirkers really stuck with me, which I had to watch Uh, in in bits. Um, And I watched on Netflix. It's not even a screener. Um, But that's a a documentary uh, by Sandy Tan that uh, it kind of, I mean, nothing should ever be watched in chunks, but when you have to be realistic about your time, like sometimes that works. And it was always kind of a pleasure to dive back into. Um, And Minding the Gap, which we've talked about, uh, worked in a similar way. So I guess I did a lot of documentary catch up
3: but that's good i mean and i think shirkers is an interesting one because uh speaking of new york film critic circle we also have an award called best first feature and that is an interesting one that could have a sort of poetic roundness to it because it's about what should have been sandy tan's first feature but then was sort of lost to the you know the mystery of the of the the, the, the world and 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 so i don't know i think there's a kind of it's funny kind of um Uh, closing of a circle, if that were to win. You're
1: not going to give it to Bradley Cooper?
3: Well, I was joking about that last night. I was like, imagine if we're like, best first feature goes to this upstart newcomer, (laughs) Bradley Cooper. I mean, it technically is, you know.
1: I remain curious about A Star is Born's prospects with critics because I think it is kind of immune to all the stuff we've been talking about, about wanting to plug something up out of obscurity and prop it up. But, I, you know, critics love A Star is Born. Like Sam Elliott seems like he could sneak through there. Lady Gaga could, start, could win some actress prizes. I'd be I'm interested to see how that goes.
3: Yeah, I think that Lady Gaga winning the National Board of Review, which, again, is a shadowy cabal of people that we don't understand. There's some weird ties to Wesleyan that you could maybe illuminate us on, Katie. But There
1: are? I didn't know that. No one invited me.
3: The person who runs the film department at Wesleyan is, like, big with NBR. And wow. It's a whole favoritism thing. Anyway, there's an article about it you can Google. But, yeah, her winning Best Actress there, that, that I mean, you know, I've been kind of saying because it's my just my instinct is to be like oh she'll be nominated but she won't win but like why why not like she might you know i mean the it's a very crowded field but also maybe that crowdedness it weirdly gives her room to win i don't know
1: So we wanted to wrap up by getting away from uh, what has won awards and going back to speculating a little bit, because it's been a while since we talked about best director. So the National Board of Review gave the best director prize, as we mentioned, to Bradley Cooper for uh, A Stars Born, which seemed like a good way for them to reward him and not have to give him best actor and gave it to Viggo Mortensen. And then at the Gothams, uh, Bo Burnham won the breakthrough director prize, which is uh, separate from a regular director prize. Uh, I feel like neither of these really tell me anything about who's ahead in the best director race. Do you guys?
3: No, I mean it's a weird. It's such a weird category this year. Um, like, I don't honestly don't know
1: what feels weird about it to you.
3: You have someone who won recently in Alfonso Cuarón. You have an actor who should be campaigning to win Best Actor, but n- and not Best Director in Bradley Cooper. You know, I don't think that he's going to win. I think he'll be nominated. You have Lanthimos, who's sort of you know already, and that's maybe a difficult win. Um, you had Chazelle, but I think he's out, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't know. Director is not a category that I ever get that excited about because it's usually just like straight white guys. And that's not that interesting.
1: Fewer of those this year.
3: Fewer, fewer this year. I, I think that for me, it's, it's more interesting who will get nominated than who will win. It'll be really interesting to see if Spike Lee gets in, for example, which would be his first directing nomination, I believe.
0: Yes, which is insane.
3: Which is crazy. So but but in terms of who is like the front runner to win, I have no idea. I I guess I would right now say Quran.
0: Yeah. Gold Derby has Quran, but it's like I feel like people aren't talking about Rome like people aren't talking about Roma. Maybe it's not it's not hit Netflix yet, right?
3: Next month, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, maybe once it hit it, you know, Katie and I were having this discussion right before the podcast with um friend of the pod Matt Patches and he he was bringing up this idea which I think has some value of like the idea of your Oscar contender being available for streaming so that people can see it since more and more people are seeing things on streaming rather than in theaters. And this obviously is where Netflix has the upper hand with their short... You know, we've talked about the non-theatrical distribution being a handicap for Netflix, but as things shift more and more, perhaps, you know, this it is available for streaming so people can watch it. But, I, uh, you know, once again, I have serious doubts about people doing the hard sit for Roma at home. Um, I don't know if that's going to... Happen, but um, but it is
1: easy to say. You know, Roma is something that like I had a hard time getting through, but like the craft of it, even in the first scene, is kind of unmistakable. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine uh, Alfonso Cuarón having the exact same situation as uh, his friend uh, Inuritu and winning his second Oscar for a film that doesn't win Best Picture, which Inarritu and in- won back to back, which is crazy. Um, but he won Best Director for The Revenant the, the year that Spotlight won Best Picture, and that split has been happening more and more in the last couple years. Do you think
0: Adam McKay is an X Factor here?
3: No, I don't think Adam McKay is in in, well maybe he is i don't know i mean new academy or not like the group that i saw the movie with was mostly sag um people and it seemed to go over a treat uh with them and so maybe that tells us something but um from my perspective vice is not the big short
1: I am looking at uh, the film experience, uh, Nathaniel Rogers, another friend of ours who makes predictions and has Rob Marshall kind of lurking on his uh, second tier for Mary Poppins Returns, which I know would make some people lose their minds, but I don't know, Mary Poppins Returns seems like it's this behemoth lurking in the in the distance.
3: And it's a total delight of a movie. So, uh, you know, uh, people hate Rob Marshall for, for a variety of sins, be they nine or, you know, uh Pirates of the Caribbean 5 or whatever he made. But I still go back to the well of Chicago and I'm like, that's a great kind of innovative movie musical. And so he butchered into the woods, but like I I think Mary Poppins Returns is cute.
0: It's so interesting that like Chicago that that was innovative and like, and a huge Oscar hit and stuff like that. And then so there's so much of crimes, the crimes of Bob Marshall specifically into the woods. But I think I, you know, I was talking with someone, A performer from Mary Poppins yesterday, he was talking to me about how Rob Marshall pushed for emotional authenticity in a movie that I think really could have skated by on, like, candy floss and nostalgia and that sort of stuff. He really did dig in for some, some like like moments that you wouldn't expect to find in a Disney movie, I think in terms of like um genuine sorrow and all that sort of stuff and and so I really respect that, you know like that that is what that's the story Rob Marshall wanted to tell. and you know as a musical director that he was pushing for um, you know, yeah, as a musical lover, I think we're we're all three musical lovers here like I think, what the medium can do uh, in terms of uh, translating emotion to audiences is not always what the big budget Hollywood versions of a musical is interested in doing. And I think that Mary Poppins returns uh which I love. Richard really really liked and admired and I like lost my mind loved. Um it, it has that. And I think it, it you know we talked about Emily Blunt I think in general terms around this. But I you know I think this this could li- land on the long list for best picture it really could I think.
3: Um and let's not forget that the last time that Rob Marshall was nominated for Best Director, which was for Chicago in 2003. He lost to Roman Polanski. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So... What maybe a, some what a, to be what a journey
1: year. we've gone through since then. Pedro
3: Almodovar was nominated that year too. What a weird year.
1: Well, uh, f- to bring up another giant Disney film as another question, best director. Um, I'm curious about Ryan Coogler again. I feel like we've gone back and forth on Black Panther for almost literally a year on how you know strong a superhero movie can be in this race. But as like Damien Chazelle, maybe doesn't seem as strong, and you know you wonder about the uh, affection around the favorite. Um, the accomplishment of Black Panther is pretty massive. Like I. I I Ryan Kugler is looking strong to me when I look at him on a list
3: I would love that I mean I think that he well I mean Black Panther is one of the big moves of the year obviously but I think that the kind of thoughtful craftsmanship that he brought to a big Marvel property uh, is something that is probably underappreciated you know um, like it's really hard to put an individual stamp on something that's the 20th in a line of so now 22 movies or however many movies it's been in the Mar- the whole Marvel schema. Um, but he did it. And he, he, he kind of, he didn't deviate from the Marvel narrative too much, but he made it, you know, a signature film, you know, he made it a Ryan Cooler movie. And that's really hard to do. And, you know, if he got getting credit for that, you know, beyond just the the kind of representational triumph of the film. He just like pulled off one of the hardest jobs in like big studio Hollywood and, uh, and did it really well. So I think it would be nice to see him recognized for that.
0: You know, we talked about Creed 2 last week, especially as Creed 2 comes out and we all are like, well, this movie is really missing Ryan Coogler, that that really was the X factor in what made the first Creed like so compelling. Um, You know, I think that that can only work in his favor as well. Um, And I think he belongs on the nomination list. Uh, Does he deserve to win? Like, uh, maybe, but like nomination, uh, absolutely, yes, he deserves to be there.
1: I'm going to make a bold prediction, uh, maybe based on the fact that we have an actor turned director. I feel like we're in for another weird year of director nominations, like the Argo year when all of a sudden Ben Affleck gets snubbed and the whole thing gets turned upside down. It just seems so fuzzy that really anything, anyone could get snubbed maybe except for Quaron.
3: I mean, I think that you're, you're right, Katie. And like I feel like there is a weird possibility that Bradley Cooper does not get nominated.
1: Yeah, it totally seems possible. Yeah, especially because it happened to Ben Affleck, and like Paul Schrader could get nominated. Like mm-hmm. weird thing, Mario Heller could get nominated, which I think would thrill all of us. Uh, I, I would, I would enjoy some uh, uncertainty in here. Clint Eastwood could get nominated. His movie's out there somewhere.
3: The mule. <laughs> I've been joking on Twitter about Clint Eastwood singing a song over the end credits of the mule, just like <laughs> "There's a beautiful mule." <laughs> I hope it happens.
1: That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you for listening. Keep finding us in Apple Podcasts. Leave ratings, reviews, tell your friends, please. Uh, You can find us at VanityFair.com, writing about all of these awards things and so much else. We're all on Twitter at Men, And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich, Richard. Rylos. And Joanna. Gerathis. And Mike is at Mike underscore Hogan. This week's episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And the award for the thing that no one has said since the Kevin Spacey allegations goes to Joanna Robinson.
0: This is so House of Cards, I really love it.